This is Space Time Series 26, Episode 89, for broadcast on the 26th of July, 2023. Coming up on Space Time, discovery of a strange two-faced white dwarf star, NASA's Psyche mission enters the home stretch before launch, and pre-solar grains found in the samples taken from the asteroid Ryugu. All that and more coming up on Space Time. Welcome to Space Time with Stuart Gary. Astronomers have discovered a really weird two-faced white dwarf star. White dwarves are the exposed cores of dead sun-like stars that have ceased core nuclear fusion, the process that makes stars shine. When this happens, they expand to form bloated old stars called red giants, and eventually they blow off their outer envelope of gas, exposing their white-hot stellar core, the white dwarf, an object about the size of the planet Earth, left to slowly cool over the eons of time. A white dwarf will be the ultimate fate of our sun in about 5 to 7 billion years from now. This new discovery, reported in the journal Nature, appears to have one hemisphere dominated by hydrogen, while the other is composed of helium. It's as if the white dwarf completely changes from one side to the other. The star's been nicknamed Janus after the two-faced Roman god of transition. It was initially discovered by the Zwicky Transit Facility, which scans the skies every night from Caltech's Palomar Observatory in San Diego. The authors were searching for highly magnetised white dwarfs using Zwicky when one candidate object suddenly stood out because of its brightness. Further investigation was undertaken using the Chimera instrument at Palomar, as well as the Hypercam instrument on the Grand Telescope at the Canary Islands and those data confirmed that Janus was rotating on its axis every 15 minutes. Subsequent observations made with the giant 10-metre Keck observatories atop of Mauna Kea in Hawaii revealed the dynamic double-faced nature of the white dwarf. The authors then used a spectrometer to spread the light from the white dwarf into a rainbow of wavelengths, each of which contains different chemical fingerprints. This allows them to determine the star's composition. That data revealed the presence of hydrogen when one side of the object was in view with no signs of helium, and then only helium when the other side swung into view. Right now, the authors are still trying to work out what could cause a white dwarf to have different chemical compositions on different sides. Now, one idea they've come up with involves Janus undergoing a rare phase of white dwarf evolution, during which some white dwarfs transition from being hydrogen to helium dominated on their surface. After white dwarfs are formed, their heavier elements, that's carbon and oxygen, tend to sink towards the core. And lighter elements, the lightest of all being hydrogen, float to the surface. But over time, as the white dwarf cools, the materials are thought to mix together. In some cases, the hydrogen is mixed into the interior and diluted such that helium becomes more prevalent. And Janus may be embodying this type of transition phase. But that begs the question, why is the transition happening in such a disproportionate way, with only one side of the star being involved? The authors postulate that magnetic fields could be the answer. 
They say magnetic fields around cosmic bodies tend to be asymmetric, that is, stronger on one side than the other, and so strong magnetic fields can prevent the mixing of materials. So, if the magnetic field is stronger on one side than the other, then there'd be less mixing, and thus more hydrogen. Another theory proposed by the authors to try and explain the two phases also depends on magnetic fields. But in this scenario, the fields are thought to change the pressure and density of the atmospheric gases. The magnetic fields may lead to lower gas pressures in the atmosphere. And this may allow a sort of, I guess you'd call it a hydrogen ocean, to form where the magnetic fields are the strongest. One of the study's authors, James Fuller from Caltech, says it's still not known which hypothesis best explains the phenomenon. But the simple fact is they can't think of any other way to explain the asymmetric sides without magnetic fields. To help solve the mystery, the authors want to search for more Janus-like white dwarfs out there, again using the Zwicky Sky Survey. This is space time. Still to come, NASA's Psyche mission entering the home straight for launch. And astronomers discover pre-solar grains in samples from the Ryugu asteroid. All that and more still to come on Space Time. Engineers and technicians at Cape Canaveral in Florida are now busy preparing NASA's Psyche spacecraft in advance of its slated launch on October the 5th. With less than 100 days to go before liftoff, Psyche's undergoing final preparations for the mission, with teams of engineers and technicians working almost around the clock in order to ensure the orbit is ready for its 4 billion kilometre journey to the middle-rich asteroid 16 Psyche, a large 279 kilometre wide M-type asteroid discovered in 1852. It's named after the goddess Psyche, one of the most celebrated characters in Greek mythology who was the goddess of the soul. Her name means breath of life, and she was closely linked with the inner human world and with a beauty that rivaled that of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. 16 Psyche is the largest and most massive M-type asteroid known. In fact, it's one of a dozen or so of the most massive asteroids ever found, containing about 1% of the entire mass of the main asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter. Historically, it was always hypothesized that Psyche was the exposed metallic core of a differentiated planet or dwarf planet that had had its crust and mantle stripped away in some sort of cataclysmic collision. Originally, the dwarf planet would have been much larger, about 500 kilometres in diameter. A second hypothesis suggests that Psyche was disrupted and then gradually re-accreted in a mix of metal and silicate. If this is the case, then it could be a candidate for the parent body of a class of stony iron meteorites. Now, the latest hypothesis involves Psyche being a differentiated object, just like the asteroid Ceres and Vesta. But for some reason, it experienced a type of iron volcanism known as ferrovolcanism while it was cooling. Now, if true, the model predicts that metals would be highly enriched only in those regions containing relic volcanic centres. And that idea has been bolstered by recent radar observations of the asteroid. The mission team recently completed a comprehensive test campaign for the flight software and they've installed it in the spacecraft. That clears a major hurdle that kept Psyche from making its original launch date last year. 
Psyche's project manager, Henry Stone from NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California, says the team are now counting down the days to launch. The focus has now shifted to safety, completing the final mechanical checkouts of the spacecraft and preparing the team for operations. Psyche will launch aboard a SpaceX Falcon Heavy rocket. That's SpaceX's biggest operational rocket, comprising three Falcon 9 core stages mounted side by side. This will be the first interplanetary launch for the Falcon Heavy, which will lift off from Space Complex 39A at the Kennedy Space Center. After escaping Earth's gravity, the Saki spacecraft will use its solar electric propulsion system to undertake the six-year journey to the asteroid Psyche. And once the spacecraft reaches the asteroid, it'll spend at least 26 months orbiting the space rock, gathering images and data that will tell scientists more about its history and composition. There aren't many classes of objects left in our solar system that we haven't looked at up close with the spacecraft. And one of them that's left is the metal asteroids. 16 Psyche is an asteroid that orbits the sun out between Mars and Jupiter. The reason that Psyche is unique is that it is metal rich. It's believed that it may be a remnant core of an early planetesimal that was formed in the very, very earliest parts of the formation of the solar system. And after this planet started forming and this metal core formed inside of that, it collided with other bodies that then stripped off the rocky mantle, leaving this core in place. This is the part of planets that we can't sample directly today. It's too hot, the pressure's too high, our instruments would melt. Can't drill a hole that deep in the Earth or other planets. So how do we study the core of our planet? Psyche gives us the opportunity to visit a core, the only way that humankind can ever do. And it would be the first metal object that humankind has ever visited. After launch, we cruise through interplanetary space for a number of years. Uh, first, we fly by Mars for gravity assist that'll slingshot us into the asteroid belt. And then we're thrusting all the way from there to finally arriving at Psyche. We'll go into four orbits to collect the necessary measurements that we need from our three primary instruments. So our payload consists of a couple of imagers, which are cameras that take pictures of Psyche. Also a gamma ray neutron spectrometer, which allows us to measure the elemental composition of the surface of Psyche. And then a magnetometer, which will allow us to detect any magnetic field that's left at Psyche. If Psyche still has some sort of remnant magnetic field, that, that probably tells us it really was a core. It's a strong indicator. We also use the radio on the spacecraft as an instrument, so we can map out the gravity and map out the interior structure that way. We're using a particular thruster technology, Hall Effect thruster technology. They operate five times more efficiently than normal rockets, so they use a lot less fuel, and is what allows us to get into orbit around this asteroid. Solar electric propulsion has been around for quite a while, and it has flown before, but we are continuing to push the boundaries. We're going to have big five-panel fold-out solar panels that will provide the electricity for the thrusters, which use as propellant the noble gas xenon. This will be the first time that Hall Effect thrusters have flown in deep space. Studying the evolution of a planetary body is a detective story. There's a magic to when you actually are on the launch pad and you say, we're go for launch. And you feel like singing and dancing and you feel like throwing up at the same time. Let's go discover things about our solar system that we have no other way to do. 
I think that it's fundamental to who we are and also who we should be. It's an incredible opportunity to be a part of the team making that happen. This is Space Time. Still to come, pre-solar silicate grains found in samples from the asteroid Ryugu. And later in the science report, researchers identify three new biomarkers for prostate cancer. All that and more still to come on Space Time. Scientists studying samples of the asteroid Ryugu have discovered silicate grains older than the solar system. The samples were collected by the Japanese Aerospace Exploration Agency's Hayabusa 2 mission, which launched back in 2014 and arrived at the 900-metre-wide asteroid in 2018 for a two-year study tour. Ryugu orbits the Sun every 16 months at a similar distance to that of the Earth, and it's considered a near-Earth object. After studying the asteroid's composition, history and orbital eccentricities and collecting samples from its surface, Hayabusa 2 departed Ryugu in 2019 and passed by the Earth the following year, jettisoning a re-entry capsule containing the collected samples, which parachuted down into the warmer rocket range in outback South Australia, where it was collected by the scientists. A report in the journal Science Advances suggests that Ryugu probably broke off from a larger parent body following an impact. As the authors examined two samples of Ryugu, each less than a millimetre in size, they identified two slivers of rock that looked different from their surrounding matrix. Further scans using muon beams revealed that these unique and identifiable fragments of rock or clasts were chemically different from the surrounding material. They were lower in magnesium, in oxygen and in silicon, and they had more sulphur and iron. Both clasts had evidence that they contained pre-solar grains that could not have come from Ryugu's parent body. That's because they showed evidence of water, which would have been destroyed by the grains. Now this further suggests that these grains came from somewhere else in the solar system, most likely further out, maybe the Kuiper Belt. Now for that to have happened, these grains would have somehow needed to have made their way to the rubble field holding Ryugu and then become incorporated into the asteroid as it accreted. By the way, that name Ryugu, well, it's Japanese for Dragon Palace, which was a magical underwater fortress in Japanese folklore. In the story, a fisherman travels to the palace on the back of a turtle, and when he returns, he carries with him a mysterious box, much like the Hayabusa 2, returning with samples of the asteroid. This is Space Time. And time now to take another brief look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with a science report. Scientists at the University of South Australia have identified three new biomarkers for prostate cancer. The new biomarkers will help identify and differentiate potentially aggressive cases of the disease, which kills more than 300,000 biological males each year. 
when used together, they'll assist clinicians in determining which patients require immediate radical treatment compared to those who need close monitoring. A report in the journal Cancer says these biomarkers are remarkably sensitive and they're very specific in accurately visualising the progress of the cancer and confirming its grade. More than a million biological males are diagnosed with prostate cancer worldwide every year. A report in the Journal of the American Medical Association shows that ChatGPT consistently gives good evidence-based advice when asked for help with health problems. Researchers asked ChatGPT 23 different questions around addiction, violence, mental and physical health. Each time using a help-seeking format, such as I'm smoking, can you help me quit? The researchers say ChatGPT response was evidence-based for 21 of the questions and only made specific referrals for health resources five times. They say it means AI could have a role to play in answering basic health questions for the public because it can give a single answer instead of the various answers you'll usually get from a web search. And an AI working in partnership with public health agencies may allow more fine-tuned responses. Senior TikTok executives have been forced to answer uncomfortable questions at an Australian Senate Select Committee foreign interference hearing. Senator James Patterson grilled the video sharing app Senior Australian Management about the company's operations, confirming that Beijing does have access to Australian users' data. Senator Patterson's examination exposed how evasive TikTok's senior executives' answers were and how they appeared to be unable or unwilling to acknowledge some basic facts about their company. TikToker Australia Public Policy Manager Ella Woods-Joyce told the hearing she didn't know where her company's head office was located. In a drawn-out exchange, Senator Patterson pressed Woods-Joyce on her company's physical location. Woods-Joyce said TikTok's parent company, ByteDance, had operations around the world with more than 150,000 employees based in 120 cities. Patterson then repeated the question, asking, yes, but where's the headquarters? Every company has a headquarters. He then asked, it's a Chinese-founded company. Is its headquarters in China? Woods-Joyce responded that there were offices in China but claimed not to know where the headquarters of the company was. When Senator Patterson asked where the majority of the employees reside, Woods-Joyce again claimed not to be sure. Aside from all the evasive absurdities, the real point of the questioning was to find out how many times China's accessed the user data of Australian citizens. Will Farrell from TikTok's US data security arm claimed not to know how many, but would take the question on notice. He was given a deadline of Friday, July the 14th, which he's now missed. And that's prompted a stern warning from the Senate. The apparently evasive answers are par for the course for TikTok. Its software is seen as a threat to national security and user privacy, and it could be used to promote pro-Beijing propaganda and misinformation. In fact, Australian, British and American authorities have all been raising privacy concerns about TikTok for years. They're worried about its software's ability to access users' private information, including notes, messages, emails, internet history, contact lists, biometric identifiers, and location data. Concerns around TikTok were highlighted again in December last year when ByteDance employees accessed data on journalists from BuzzFeed News and the Financial Times while attempting to track down the source of a leaked report about the company. 
Chinese law requires all companies to provide data to Beijing on request. Well, they're both very similar, but which is the best, Twitter or Threads? Both platforms let you share images, videos, GIFs, or is that GIFs, and links, but Threads lets you post up to 500 characters in a message, while basic Twitter limits it to 240. However, sharing GIFs on Threads is more difficult because they first need to be put in your phone's gallery. More importantly, however, Twitter is by far the fastest medium for sharing news globally, and its search option for trending news is by far the best. Still, Threads is here now, and it's here to stay. With the details, we're joined by technology editor Alex Saharov-Royt from TechAdvice.Life. Well, Threads is Meta's answer to Twitter. It already had Facebook, which is sort of more of a long-form kind of uh, sharing pictures and images. And of course, it had Instagram, which is mainly just images. But it didn't have something that was specifically like Twitter. And so Threads is the answer to that. Now, there's things like Mastodon and Blue Sky and Donald Trump's Truth Social, which is not available in Australia. There's a bunch of different Twitter-like programs out there. But the one that's caught the public's eye the most in the last two, three weeks is Threads. And if you're already an Instagram user, you can get a Threads account with the same username. And in the first couple of weeks, it grew to about 100 million users. Now, that does sound like a lot, but it's interesting to note that Instagram has 2 billion users. So this is less than 5%. And in the last week since Mark Zuckerberg actually announced that uh, Threads had gotten to 100 million users, there's been no sort of mention of the number of users since. And uh, an organization called QuiverQuant has pegged current Threads users is about 115 million. So it's only grown by about 15 million in the last uh, couple of weeks. And that means that uh, some of the shine is coming off threads a little bit, but we still don't have threads in Europe where we should see a lot more usage and uh, people joining quickly. But you also have the daily active users of threads from a company called SimilarWeb having gone down from about 49 million to under 24 million. So you do have to wonder how much staying power threads has. I mean, there was an app called Clubhouse during the pandemic, which was like listening to an audio of your friends having a discussion. And that kind of grew and it's kind of fallen away a bit. But look, there are a bunch of new features in the iOS version of the Threads app. There are translations that are coming. You can, according to a guy called Cam Roth, who's a developer, you can follow people on the activity feed. You can subscribe to unfollowed users. There's tappable reposter labels. There's a whole bunch of different things. Put all the details at, at techadvice.life. But there's still no hashtags. It's still difficult to, to follow people as easily as you would like. There's various things that are not there. But certainly the Threads people do have a lot of motivation to fix the system as quickly as they can. Is it just a poor person's Twitter? Look, to some degree at the moment it is. Twitter is when a main game is happening. It's still got three to 500 million users, depending on which stats you listen to. Elon Musk himself has said that Twitter has grown by about 3.5% week on week. So it, it's still just a Twitter clone, as it were, but it does have the pedigree of coming from Instagram, which has 2 billion users, and Facebook, which has nearly 3 billion users. So it certainly can become quite a threat. And of course, Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg have been sparring verbally yeah, uh, in Twitter. Where's fight taking place? I'm, I'm waiting to see this fisticuffs between the pair that they've promised us. Sure. Well, we still have to wait and see. I mean, there have been pictures of Mark Zuckerberg looking very ripped with some uh, MMA fighters. He's done jiu-jitsu, but Elon Musk's got the reach and the weight. Well, at the moment, they're letting their uh, social media networks do the talking, but um, Elon Musk did say that Zuck is a cuck. I don't know what that means. Well, 
if I look up the uh, definition, yeah, this is a weak or a servile man. It's often used as a contemporaneous term for a man with moderate or progressive political views. Oh, dear. Musk is looking at suing threads, or at least meta, because the codes are so similar. Musk has threatened to sue Zuckerberg, and he's, in fact, he sent legal letters, and the claims were there that there were ex-Twitter staff working on the thread code. But you know, Zuck has come out and said that, uh, no, there's no Twitter people working on threads at all. Look, at the moment, it's all a bit of a sideshow. Grab the popcorn, have a bit of fun. If a fight ever does occur, it'll be global news, it'll be, it'll be on pay-per-view. It'll I be, wouldn't it'll hold be my huge. breath for that. No, no, I, I think that's more bluster. That's Alex. Sahara Freud from TechAdvice.life. And that's the show for now. Spacetime is available every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday through Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Acast, Amazon Music, Bytes.com, SoundCloud, YouTube, your favorite podcast download provider, and from Spacetime with StuartGary.com. Spacetime's also broadcast through the National Science Foundation on Science Zone Radio and on both iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio. And you can help to support our show by visiting the Spacetime store for a range of promotional merchandising goodies. Or by becoming a Spacetime patron, which gives you access to triple episode commercial-free versions of the show, as well as lots of bonus audio content which doesn't go to air, access to our exclusive Facebook group and other rewards. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.com for full details. And if you want more space time, please check out our blog where you'll find all the stuff we couldn't fit in the show, as well as heaps of images, news stories, loads of videos, and things on the web I find interesting or amusing. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.tumblr.com. That's all one word, and that's Tumblr without the E. You can also follow us through at StuartGary on Twitter, at SpacetimewithStuartGary on Instagram, through our Spacetime YouTube channel. And on Facebook, just go to facebook.com forward slash Spacetime with Stuart Gary. And Spacetime is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, your window on the universe. You've been listening to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. Bytes.com.